You're listening to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. Welcome to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Bishop. Thanks for tuning in. Each week, I invite a guest onto the show to talk about a topic that is meant to be a catalyst for growth in our lives, to spark ideas, get unstuck, and gain new insights that compel us to action as we journey together to play full out and live fully into who we were created to be. And thanks to all of you who have shared how this podcast is impacting you. And as always, I'm grateful when you share this podcast with others. And as a reminder, when you listen, leave comments and reviews. Well, I'm super excited about today's episode. I've invited Dr. Deb Gordon to have a conversation about her new book, Embracing Uncomfortable. Our conversation today is incredibly relevant, especially as we pursue living a life unleashed, or as Dr. Deb puts it, as we embrace the uncomfortable in order to fulfill our purpose. A little bit about Dr. Deb. Deb Gordon is a clinical psychologist earning her MA in psychology and her PhD in clinical psychology from Fuller Graduate School. Additionally, she holds an MA in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. She serves as a director of the Moody Theological Seminary's Master's in Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program, is a director of Moody's Counseling Center, and is the founder, president, and president of Civ Consultation. Dr. Gordon is an author professor and speaker and currently resides in Chicago, loves the Cubs, Chicago architecture, and believe it or not, public transportation. Deb, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. I actually love that last fact about you, that you have a love for public transportation, which is an earned passion in Chicago for sure. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It was not a immediate love of infatuation at all. There's probably some um, embracing uncomfortable in that. Yes. And that story. Well, I'm super glad that you're here. Another thing about Deb is that she and I are friends. I think we've known each other for nine years. Probably about nine years. Yeah. Since I moved to Chicago. Is that how long you've been here then? It's been nine years? Yeah. Nine, eight years. Yeah. Okay. Somewhere around there. Yeah. When you get to be my age, I feel like you start to Oh, please. I've got years on you. Watch what you're saying. Watch what you're saying. Well, I'm super glad that you are here to talk about your new book, Embracing Uncomfortable. And I've told you several times, I've actually pretty much stalked you. We were talking about that earlier. I stalked you when I was reading your book because it was just so good. So I think I might have texted you. I don't know, two or three times. And that was me holding back. I'm like, hey, have you ever thought of this? You really need to do this with your book. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is she thinking? You thought I was crazy. I did. No, it was so encouraging. I It was. <laughs> it made me feel really good. I, I, I restrained myself. <laughs> but I really loved how thought-provoking and authentic and accessible your book was. And it was really kind. Mm. I don't know if, if anyone used that word. I thought no, it was kind no. because I didn't feel like a schmuck. Or I didn't feel like a cloud of shame for my tendency towards comfort. Oh, that's good. I love that. Right? I love that. Yeah, it's like some books you're like, oh, gosh, this makes me feel terrible about myself. But I didn't like that. It was just a very kind way in which you wrote about this really important topic for people in our lives. Oh, that's so cool. I'm going to start using that when people ask now, how do I describe the book? I'm going to say it's kind. Yeah. Because embracing uncomfortable is hard. It is hard, yeah. and you almost have to be kind to yourself in the process. Totally. Or else it can have kind of a reverse effect, I would think. Yeah, you kind of start it and then quit right away because mm-hmm. it's too hard. Or you you beat yourself up. Like the judgment comes in, yeah. which we'll probably talk about in a, a little bit too. And then, 
you know, I was telling you earlier too, like I've always known you to be like funny, but you're <laughs> flipping hilarious. Like you guys, you have to read this book because it's just really good and will help you to live a life unleashed and embrace the uncomfortable to follow your passions and your purpose and get in touch with your core values. But if you want to hoot and holler through this thing too, it is good medicine for the soul. So highly recommend that you pick up Embracing Uncomfortable. But let's just talk a little bit about your journey in Embracing Uncomfortable. Like what led you to writing the book? Yeah, no, I love that question. Um, You know, I think it's probably a couple of things. One is looking at my own life and realizing how much, you know, I went through when, and I talk about this in the book, my mom passed away. Gosh, it was 12 years ago this week she committed suicide, Mm -hmm. and which was a very tragic experience in my life. But confronted me with the reality that I'd been living so long with my identity being in a fixer. And that played out in my family of origin. Like if I can solve everybody's problems and make sure everybody's happy, then I will have a place here. And that was like completely obliterated when my mom with my mom passed away. And so I had to to kind of do a lot of soul searching in that. But then at the same time I was starting my work as a psychologist and so seeing how so many of my clients misplace their own identities and other things. And, you know, um when we get to the root of what's most important to us and what our true purpose is, it's tough stuff to live yeah. it out. It, you, it requires that we, you know, be willing to embrace uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to share my own story in hopes that it would motivate and impact others. What would you say now, y'all, you're going to have to read the book for the full on version of this, but give us just a little bit of a snapshot of what does embracing uncomfortable require? Like what, what do we need to start even thinking about to get to a point where we're even willing to consider the possibility of embracing uncomfortable? Yeah. The first thing is really knowing what our core values are. And I find that um, most times when I ask people that, everybody knows they have values, you know, and they can kind of go, yeah, well, I value this and maybe this, but they don't know, like they don't really know in their core what, what is most important to them. And I think values are our roadmap. They, they really tell us, are we headed in the right direction? So there's some exercises in the book in terms of how to kind of figure those out. But um, so that's, that's a key thing. And then the second is, you know, taking the time to commit to this process, which I realize is not easy. Um, and so when people ask me, okay, how do I actually begin, begin the steps of embracing uncomfortable, just consider like 1% right now. Like what is 1% of your life where you have been asking yourself this question, why can't I change or why can't I transform in this area? And that's where you start. Hmm. And hopefully it becomes like a snowball effect and you start noticing the changes elsewhere too. What would be, so I know we've heard the term values for sure. And then core values may be a, a new term for people, but what, how would you define core values and how do we know when something is a core value? Like what, what would be maybe some examples? Yeah. And I'll give mine. I talk about them in the book. So I, I think, and this is probably the psychologist in me, if we can get overwhelmed with everything that's important to us. Right. I, and I take my students through this exercise every year of values and they get so mad at me because I, <laughs> I literally make them whittle it down to five. Oh, that was hard. <laughs> you have this. Pa- it's, it's at least one page. Is it more than one page? I can't remember. But I'm like, I think I checked like 20. I didn't even make it to step two. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And you get really emotionally attached to these things. Like I've had I've had students cry in this mm. exercise. And I'm like, you guys, it's hypothetical. Because what I have them do is I have them write down all the people that are important to them, all the places, all the things, all the memories. And then they have to start crossing things out like they don't exist. Mm. And the goal is not to say that that's not valuable because we all have things that are valuable to us. But the values themselves are kind of like the foundation. 
So it's like, you know, you can build a, a California ranch house. You can build a townhouse. You can build an apartment. They're all going to look different. They're all going to have different styles, but they all have a foundation that's going to keep them rooted and grounded and holding up in the midst of a storm, right? Mm -hmm. So think of your core values like your foundation. So mine are Jesus, because that's really important to me, wisdom, authenticity, purpose, and relationship in no particular order. Okay. Um, although I would say Jesus is number one. <laughs> And so every day I try to make this commitment to think about and reflect on my daily choices and ask myself, okay, from the biggest to the smallest way I interacted with people, with myself, with God, did I demonstrate these values? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit too of values are who you are committed to being and how you're committed to showing up no matter the circumstance. Yeah. So whether it's in a conversation with the barista or a conversation with my boss or if I married my spouse, like this value really becomes the filter or the lens through which I show up, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think we, we mistakenly put it only in the big picture, hmm. right? And I talk a lot about purpose and I can't tell you how often people mistake their occupation or their life circumstances as their purpose. And they feel like they're stuck or they're not achieving or they're not where they're meant to be because their purpose isn't being fulfilled. Hmm. And I think that's a huge lie that we believe too, that our purpose is conditional to a certain circumstance in our life. That's a whole nother topic. I think, <laughs> right. I think a lot of people are like, what is my purpose and how do I figure it out? Yeah. And I talk about this person in the book, bus driver, Betty. Yeah. And she is to me today, like my mentor in purpose. And I only met her the one time on the bus, well, actually twice, because I rode her bus again. But I got on her bus and in the city of Chicago, if you, you know, you live here, but if you've never been here, I mean, it's a major city, right? People drive like maniacs, people bike like maniacs, <laughs> the, the people walking in the street never stop for the walk signs. And so they walk slower. Oh my gosh. People go I don't know if it's like a Midwest <laughs> I don't know thing. what it is. I'm like, it's a bus. <laughs> it's going to win in a fight to the death. So. Anyway, most of the bus drivers are grumpy and, you know, obviously, rightfully so, bitter with the world. But I got on this bus one day and this woman looked me in the eye, which was rare. Mm. And she just said, welcome aboard my bus. I hope you have an amazing day. We're blessed to be alive. And I'm wow. Like, well, that's weird. Yeah. So I got on the bus and she kept doing that. We would drive, you know, we were driving to the destination. Every stop, she'd say the same thing to the passengers that got on. She'd get on the loudspeaker and make some type of encouraging you know, heartfelt announcement. And I just thought, what is up? So I walked to the front of the bus and I tapped on her little glass thing. And I said, can you tell me why you're doing this? I'm a, she probably thought I was crazy. And she just looked at me and she's like, it's my purpose. I'm fulfilling my purpose. Wow. Driving a bus. Wow. You know, and I think, unfortunately, mm. we do have, uh, and I don't agree with this, but I think it's just it's just reality that we have this sort of like hierarchy of things that we esteem to be in life. And most people don't from childhood say, I want to be a bus driver. Yeah. Which, why? Why not? I mean, that's great job security right there. But still, you know, I don't think most people would say I could fulfill my purpose driving a bus right. or fill in the blank. And yet... She did. Mm. And every day that I think about how I interact with others, I think about bus driver Betty. Yeah. And and how, like you mentioned, standing in line, getting coffee, talking to, you know, the person at the grocery store. That's a chance for me to live out my purpose. Mm. That's so good because we can certainly have visions and aspirations like I want to be a CEO or, you know, what things that we want to do. But I don't think we really if ever or often enough, spend time on who do I want to be? Yeah. 
like the the being part is so relevant no matter what I'm doing. I, I would say my value is Jesus as well. And three words that I um, talk about as being generous, courageous, and connected. Love it. So th- those are my values are, you know, in, in every situation that in generosity, not fin- financially necessarily, it could be financially, but am I generously listening? Am I generously? And also realizing we're human. Mm-hmm. And so perfection's not the goal, which yeah. is something I struggle with because I try to be perfect, which is not possible. But noticing if I have my core values, then I can make choices. Right. And I think you talk about that in your book as well is is that when I when I know what my core values are, when I know my purpose is then I can that that helps me to make choices and maybe even uncomfortable choices. Right. So yeah. say, say a little bit about that. That's exactly it. I mean, that's kind of the thesis of the book. Right. Is this idea that we make choices every day. And I think probably heavily influenced by being a very Western individualistic gain oriented accomplishment mindset country that we live in. We often focus on what we can get out of those choices, Mm -hmm. what the gains are, what the accomplishments are, how it validates our identity or our wants and needs, fill in the blank, right? And yet every decision we make involves a loss too, Mm. every single one. And that's not that's, that's not meant to be pessimistic or glass half empty. It's just reality. Right. And so when we have our values, that's think of it as like the sieve through which we filter our decisions. We can look at, at a decision and we can say, okay, there's a gain here, but there's also a loss. Is the loss something I'm willing to incur or is it in contrast to my values? So I think, you know, probably an obvious example is over committing at work to the detriment of your own mental health and well-being or time with your family or taking care of, you know, yourself, fill in the blank. How often do we do that? I mm-hmm. mean, we're career women, right? Yeah. And, and if it's okay for me to say both single. Yeah. And I know for me, I that easily allows me to pour myself into my work mm. constantly at the sacrifice of myself. And there might even be a, a cultural thing that says, hey, you're single. You have more time. You should be pouring more oh, time in your 100%. work. 100%. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I have learned... Because authenticity is a value of mine, so I turn everything that I say in the book onto myself as much as possible. I've learned that I have to say no. And and people feel disappointed Mm. when I do. Not all the time, but there have been times where I know people have shared with me, I'm really disappointed. I feel like you're letting me down. And they have a right to feel that way. And that is hard Mm -hmm. because it comes directly back to me and causes me to think about that, that false identity of fixing and helping and problem solving. But the reality is if I'm consistent with my character, eventually they're going to come back around and they're going to understand that I needed to make that decision. And even if they don't, I, if I say it respectfully, if I say it in a way that at least maximizes the opportunity of, of maintaining the relationship, then I believe I've lived according to my values. So, so what, remind us, what value did, how, what value showed up in that decision? If I'm saying no to something, mm-hmm. um, probably for me, again, it would go back to the authenticity piece yeah. and really feeling like, and this ties in with being a psychologist, I think, but understanding, not biblically, um, that we're holistic. You know, Jesus says he cares for us mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And if my body is a temple to the Holy Spirit, then I need to care for myself mentally, mm. physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And if I'm a workaholic, I'm not doing that. I can't do embracing uncomfortable without pauses in the day to really consider how my actions are aligning or not with my values. And that takes time. Mm -hmm. That's good. Or even, you know, a a 
family woman or, or a, a corporate woman, corporate man, and says that, hey, family is a high value, but I'm, like you said, I'm at the office all the yeah. time. It's like, okay, are my actions and choices aligning with what I say I value? Yeah. And I talk about this concept called radical acceptance, because mm. I think that's where a lot of people get stuck, is they're like, okay, I want to spend more time with my family, but I want, and, and I don't think people are consciously thinking this, but I want to spend more time with my family, and in order to get there, I have to have less expectations at work and no consequences to saying no. And guess what? That is not going to happen. Yeah. In our world today, that's not going to happen. There's going to be consequences and there's going to be projects that you're saying no to. And you have to radically accept that if you really want to live according to your values. Mm. And that's that's the embracing uncomfortable piece. Talk about um, talk about the comfort myth. Mm, yeah. So, okay, I use this analogy in the book to illustrate it. Um, it's this idea that we are very habitual, right? Mm-hmm. We kind of just engage a lot of our days in autopilot. And I think as a result of that, we come to believe that the choices that we make day to day are moving us in the direction we want to go because they're comfortable, they're familiar. Mm. And the reality is those comfortable, familiar choices oftentimes lead to later, longer term discomfort. And we need to flip that. We okay. need to embrace the uncomfortable in the moment, which will result in longer term comfort and contentment. So I talk about walking. I made this commitment to walk to and from work for a year. <laughs> you told me. I'm like, you're crazy. I'm crazy. Even in the Chicago winters. I mean, Wow. I know. I don't know what I, I wasn't thinking. That's part of my problem sometimes. So my dad came to visit. We walked to, I should say to work because at night, you know, I am a woman. It's the city. I didn't always walk home, but I walked to work with my dad every day when he was here. And I thought, this is kind of cool. I'm enjoying it. It's two miles. Great exercise. Great way to get to know the city a bit more. I'm going to do this for a year. Well, that was July and it was hot, but that was the worst consequence, right? So this Arizona girl, November, <laughs> December comes around and I'm like, what was I thinking? And then January hits and it's dark and it's cold and my bed is warm and mm. it's cozy and it's comfortable. And I remember thinking when my alarm would go off at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm not doing this. It's cold out. It's going to be like 20 below with the wind chill and I've got a two mile walk ahead of me. But there was always this little tiny voice for whatever reason, perhaps because it was going to end up in the book <laughs> saying, no, you can do this. You committed to it. And gosh, after a year, even the day that I did it, I guarantee every time that I got up and walked, it was so much more empowering and and just an amazing experience in a bigger picture that I felt longer term than that, like, you know, 10 minutes of discomfort that I spent getting out of bed. So why did you decide <laughs> to do that for a year? Like what was... I mean, what was the ultimate goal in even making that commitment? Do you remember? I, You know, at the time, I thought, I really want to get to know the city a bit more. I want to mm. pay attention to what's around me. And, and I got to say, also, my grandmother, we were talking about our grandmothers before the show started, right? Your yep. grandma is going to be 102. Oh my grandma is going to be 102. Yes. And my grandma walks every day still. That was her thing. And so I think part of me also thought, hey, like, live like grandma. And, and I just, so I did. Oh my gosh. Probably a little bit of a stubborn story. Well, and too. <laughs> you know, God knew that you were going to be writing a book. Yeah. So he's like, hey. So talk a little bit about you know, the juxtaposition of comfort and a life that aligns to our values and purpose. Can you unpack that a little bit? Because can they can comfort and aligning to our values and purpose, can they really coexist in harmony or 
Yeah, I you know, I think sometimes people probably read the title of the book or even start launching into the book. And and as you mentioned, uh, discomfort is not fun. I mean, it's not something I think we would choose if we were given the choice. If we could, you know, live a life of comfort versus discomfort, I think we'd probably pick comfort. So it's not that comfort in and of itself is bad. It's, it's more the mindlessness that we choose comfort. Mm. And I think, you know, um, there are things that make us comfortable. Great example. When I walked to work in January, I had a nice long down coat on that I called the sleeping bag. <laughs> I would not have been able to do it without that. Right. Oh so in, in some way that provided a sense of comfort from, from the wind and the cold, that wasn't a bad thing, but it's this idea of when we're making the decision without consciously considering it, mm. right? It's sort of, it's it's how our brain is wired. It's wired for the path of least resistance. And like autopilot. Almost, autopilot, right? yeah. yeah. So if we're not stepping into and really in, intentionally considering our choices, we're, we're making the easiest choice. I mean, mm. it's literally how our brain is wired. What is going to pr- provide the least amount of resistance here? Yeah. And we just know growth doesn't happen in those situations. So what else? So growth, what else do you think we miss out on when we do not embrace uncomfortable? Yeah. Um, So uh, for me, here's a great example in my own life right now, right? I mentioned being single. I wouldn't have chosen to be single at this stage of my life. I wouldn't have pictured it. Uh, There are many days where I wish I wasn't single. Um, And yet... I know in my own life, I've struggled with this. I've seen clients struggle with this. I've seen friends struggle with this. You can get into this mindset of, I don't like this. I'm lonely. I wouldn't have chosen this for my life. I'm less than, uh, you know, what's wrong with me? All of these things that I think, especially for us as women, start to question about our identity. And I'm not saying that the emotional experience of that isn't difficult. Mm -hmm. And that's key. We have to validate those emotional experiences. But if we don't, recognize the opportunities we do have in the midst of the seasons of our lives. Like I wouldn't have gone on some of these grand adventures that Mm. I've been able to do or develop some of these amazing friendships that I have or, you know, gotten to go visit my nephews and and my niece as often as I can. And, and And I think we think, okay, if I embrace those elements, which are uncomfortable, then I'm saying it's okay to be single. Mm. Or I think a lot of times Christian women in particular think, well, then God isn't going to bless me with a husband because I've gotten, we've gotten happy and content. With I've being actually single. thought that before. Yeah. Like I haven't thought in a long time, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't be happy and content because then God's going to think I'm okay. Yes. I'm not. It's so weird. No, I've thought the same thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and I even know for myself, gosh, I say the three C's exist in my life and it's my addiction to comfort convenience and certainty Mm. and like not a lot is possible if 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 we're chasing those things yeah you know well and I mean talk about a difficult season to live in right now it feels like the entire world is uncertain oh totally so we have to embrace like the moment and kind of be in it and life like just life is not predictable yeah talk a little bit about um you you talk about obstacles and you talk about obstacles of justification and minimization and denial so what does each of these mean and how do they prevent us from making choices that are consistent again with the values and purposes we've been talking about yeah i love it my best friend coined those the three change haters (laughs) (laughs) oh no Uh, which is so true because that's what they are they prevent us from changing so justification minimization denial i think these are great ways to know when you're stuck 
Hmm. And there are patterns in our life and we can engage in any one of them. We can engage in all three of them. We probably all lean towards one or another. And it's, and it's really um, kind of what keeps us in a pattern of, um, you know, of, of stagnation. And so justification is basically giving every excuse in the book for why. So it's, you know, well, um, I did, I, I, I could, I didn't feel like it today, or I was in a bad mood or this person did this to me. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of saying, yes, I realize I did this, but here's all the reasons why I did it versus just taking ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, minimization is exactly like it sounds. It's making the problem a lot smaller than it is. It's using the phrase. It's not that big of a deal. Okay. Everything is a big deal and not in the sense that we can also blow things way out of proportion, but you know, you got to take your experiences and other people's experiences for what they are. So minimization um, can can really kind of get us in a place of non-reality. And then denial, probably the hardest one to change because you haven't gotten to the place where you really see either what part of the problem you are or how you're contributing to it or what your circumstances really are. Hmm. Um, and so every single one of those is the biggest barrier to change. Yeah. So how do you go about I mean, in your book, you talk about how to identify those things. But what if someone like just really feels stuck? What, what would you say to them? How, 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 do, how do they start the process of being unstuck? Yeah. One, I think community is key. And I talk a lot about that in the book. Like it's, it's so hard to do any of this alone. And mm-hmm. I felt that in my own life. I mean, I went through different seasons of kind of putting myself th- through this unofficial process of embracing uncomfortable before I really conceptualized it into a thing. And, you know, my, my closest friends, I went to counseling for a while. I, I worked with a spiritual director, um, you know, I, and having a diverse body of people that I allowed to speak into and continue to allow to speak into my life was huge. Mm. I'm going to go back to that 1% thing. So, you know, a good question to ask yourself when you start to notice those three barriers to change is why. Okay. Why am I repeatedly engaging in this. And I know for me in my own life, it was because I felt like if I, if I gave in, I was sacrificing a part of me in a way, but that's because my identity was placed in something that wasn't true. Hmm. And when I could really embrace this idea that my identity is in Christ, um, and that's it, I can lose everything. I mean, I really, not experientially. I mean, I've gone through losses in my life, but I know there are people out there who've gone through much more significant losses. But I honestly can say, like, I, I understand what Paul was saying when when he said, like, to live as Christ to die is gain. I, I can I can conceptualize this idea that I can lose everything, but it won't take away my identity. So the risk is worth it. Hmm. Um, but that wasn't easy for me. You know, again, it's like one step at a time. Yeah. And then for me like another thing I'm addicted to is like I want to be liked I don't want to look stupid I don't know you you, are you familiar I don't know what you feel about the Enneagram a lot of people have different thoughts on it especially being a psychologist (laughs) I don't know I love the Enneagram I don't know um but I'm I'm not even gonna say I'm a one because my identity is not a one but I (laughs) tend to have one tendencies you know and um I I just don't want to be criticized yeah and so I, sh- I see that showing up in my life a lot where I would rather be comfortable than to be criticized. And it's like, but being 
comfortable is really actually uncomfortable. Yeah. Especially when there's something in you that is just waiting to be birthed, you know, and so it, it is risky. Yeah. And, and you, you, I think you talk about in your book a little bit about um, impossible and uncomfortable aren't the same thing. It might be part of the justification thing, maybe not, but sometimes we're like, oh, it's just impos- impossible. Yeah. It's like, well, is it really impossible or is it just uncomfortable? Yeah, absolutely. And, and sometimes it is impossible, mm-hmm. but I think that's where we kind of get stuck. You know, it's, it's the idea of failure. So I start off the book talking about failing my comprehensive exam seven times. That was a crazy story. Seven times. Yes. I'm quite certain there's like a plaque. And in my look at you school. now. You're like PhD <laughs> author, runs the counseling center at Moody and the whole counseling program. I'm like, dang, you're the poster child for embracing uncomfortable. Oh, well, that was my goal. And you know, it's cool because if somebody just told me today that their husband picked up the book um, they bought it and their husband started reading it and he's a police officer and he was like, oh my gosh, that's how I feel every day when I go to work. Mm. And I thought that's why I wanted to share that story because we fear, we fear failure, which makes sense. Yeah. But I think we fear it so much because we don't consider it an experience. We consider it an identity. Mm. Right. And I am a failure yeah. rather than I screw that up. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. yeah. And failure sucks. Like, don't get me yeah. wrong. And everything I talk about here is so much easier said than done. But it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to this idea of impossible versus uncomfortable. Everything is possible. Yeah. You may fail at it. And so it may no longer be possible in your life. But give it a try. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think it for me, it's like, how do we recreate this relationship with failure Mm. how do we embrace it um but not let it be our identity which is so challenging how how do you know when it comes to comfortable and uncomfortable because there there are times like not to do something because it's uncomfortable is there is there a way to kind of distinguish if we should lean into the uncomfortability of something or whether we shouldn't or is yeah um i think what comes to mind for me is you know, I, I I know a fair amount of people have experienced trauma in their mm. life. Um, and I think when it comes to feeling like you're having to sacrifice yourself at the expense of others, mm. and that's your discomfort. Um, and that's why also for me, this is such a communal aspect. Like talk about what we're navigating right now in our country with, um, you know, the, the racial tension and the underlying just outcrying of uh, minority groups and people of color who have been systemically you know, treated uh, in, in, in horrific ways in our country. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, a, a number of my, of my friends who are African-American, we've had conversations about how they're exhausted, they're tired, they live this every day. Yeah. And, and so I think in that context, it's an example of like, I would not encourage them to, to, to mm-hmm. embrace uncomfortable right now. Like mm-hmm. maybe the discomfort they need to embrace is rest hmm. and, um, and, 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 um, Sabbath. But I think on the flip side, we need to be championing this conversation. And that's where I see it as my responsibility as somebody from the majority culture to, to really speak into and, and do my best to educate people. So we experience transformation, not Mm -hmm. just relying on my brothers and sisters of color to feel the responsibility in being the voice of change. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think there's this idea of it, it really does happen in community. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you do talk about that a lot, that community is absolutely essential. Yeah. Like if, if we do not have community around us, like a lot of flourishing and, and growth and challenge is, is just, it's not possible to do that by yourself. It really isn't. Yeah. 
So in the couple of minutes we have uh, left here, what would be something that you'd want to leave with our listeners? Like what would be a, other than buying your book, again, Embracing Uncomfortable by Dr. Deborah Gordon, um, but what would be, what would be a first step? Someone's listening to this podcast and yeah, what would you say? I would say, ask yourself this question. Is there something in my life that I have been wanting to transform? And it could be something little, it could be something huge. Um, and if the answer is yes, then I really believe this book can help mm. because what it's going to do is it's going to, it's going to encourage you to consider again, this idea of what's most important to me. And then what are the tools and steps I need to do to pursue that? Mm -hmm. And you know what? I would even take it a step further and say, so I've read the book. I showed Deb the book. Like I said, almost every page is highlighted and I wrote <laughs> all over it, but I'm planning on reading it again and actually engaging a handful of people to read it along with me. I love it. Because it's one of those things that, you know, sometimes we think we read a book and then all, you know, things are just going to shift and that doesn't happen. And this is the kind of book that you, you read and I think you read again or, and you invite other people into the process and you have encouraging conversations. You have a level of accountability, you yeah. know, because we need accountability embracing uncomfortable. Again, if I have a choice to be comfortable or not, I'm probably not going to choose uncomfortable. <laughs> but my community standing for me and fighting for me and fighting for my values and my you know overarching purpose, like that's going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I experienced this firsthand. You can't write a book called Embracing Uncomfortable and not have everybody in your life say, well, Deb you did write a book about this. So you kind of have to do it now. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I do. But oh. it's true. Communities, it's really helpful there. So what would you hope the impact of your book, Embracing Uncomfortable, would have? Mm. I, at, at the end of the day, my dream for people is that they would be able to function out of who God created them to be. And that fears and anxieties and loss and grief and trauma wouldn't impact them from flourishing in mm -hmm. that in that design that God uniquely created for them. That's awesome. Well, I think you're amazing. I love Aww. just watching your journey over the last nine years, all that God has done in you and through you and just the impact that you're having and the legacy that you're leaving in so many ways. And so just really grateful for your friendship and your life and the ways that you inspire me. And thanks for tuning in, y'all. I really appreciate you hanging out with us. And I'm telling you, purchase the book, Embracing Uncomfortable. And you can also find out more about Dr. Deb at Deb Gorton. It's D-E-B-G-O-R-T-O-N.com. She does speaking. And I think you might even be having maybe an online course or something yeah, coming up around workshops. the book, right? Yep. Which yep. I definitely want to be a part of that as well. So go ahead and go to Deb gorton.com and again thanks for tuning in if you enjoyed this podcast please share it with others and rate it on itunes get deb's book get a group together to read it and support one another because community is key and i am cheering you on as you embrace uncomfortable <laughs>